Welcome to Finn's Fish Tales. These are my stories. I made them all up. Hello and welcome to the Patriots part 4. Uh, the series is going really well and receiving a lot of feedback and I really appreciate people taking the time out. As I said, this is episode 4 and uh, I hope you're enjoying it. The Patriots, part 4. Ducked at Hollyhead, the lad's van trundles down the ramp and off the ferry. The morning air is brisk and fresh. Seagulls in flight caw as they glide overhead and the cool salt breeze awakens the travellers as they make their way out of the port and begin the long journey towards London. They exchange stories and trade insults excitedly, all fuelled by the thoughts of the adventure that lies ahead. Connor is driving with Leo beside him on map duty, as Eddie is occasionally jostled and rocked amongst the ladders and other bric-a-brac in the rear. Follow the A5, we'll stop for a bite near Telford, says Leo, with the map unfurled on the dashboard. Aye, says Connor, as Eddie fumbles to turn on a small transistor radio. After some dialing, he finds a strong signal amongst the hisses and whistles. King of the road, plays. The lads chime in and out on the parts that they know, and join in unison for the chorus. I am a man of means by no means, king of the road. They spend some hours passing through Wales and then England, occasionally stopping for a slash behind a tree. This would be Telford coming up, announces Leo as he folds the map back into its creased squares. Connor pulls the van off to the side of the road onto a green area. The lads disembark and stretch their legs. Eddie places the small gas stove he'd taken from the depot and fires it up to brew a pot of tea, while Connor digs around in the back of the van. Finally emerging with a haversack containing sandwiches wrapped in brown paper, which he passes out to the lads. Cheese and pickle are cheese and pickle. He smiles as he lobs a sandwich parcel to each of them. Does Sid know we are coming? asks Leo. Yeah, it's all sorted, says Eddie, as he spills in the black tea leaves from a square tin and stirs the pot of simmering water. Connor sits at the back of the open door van as Leo looks over its contents, logging the items in his mind. Connor looks at the tea Eddie is brewing. A mass of tea leaves tumble, rise and fall in the simmering water. Did you bring the tea strainer, he asks. Who am I, your mother? asks Eddie sarcastically. No, says Connor. My ma isn't as clean shaven as you, he laughs. I did get a bit of a beard rash from her the other night, says Eddie wryly. Connor is not amused. Soon with the tea drank and sandwiches eaten, they are back on the road. As they make the final stretch towards London, their excitement wanes some as fatigue sets in. But as the evening closes in and the scenery moves from country day to city dusk, they stare wide-eyed, wanting to soak up every sight and sound. While generally clued in, this is a new experience for all three, them having never left Ireland before. As they pass through Notting Hill, music seems to emanate from every open window and street corner. The traffic has now begun to thicken somewhat. As the van comes to one of its many stops, Connor rolls down his window. There is a man up a ladder putting the finishing touches to a newly painted shop front. Here is London really swinging, shouts Connor excitedly. The man turns his head and with a cigarette hanging from his lip says, Fuck off, Paddy, as he turns his head back to the task at hand. He must be one of those angry young men, says Leo as the traffic lets up, allowing the van to roll on a spell. They eventually reach their destination, Shepherd's Bush. 
a magnet for the Irish, a little corner of a foreign land they made their own. This is it here, Shepherd's Bush Court, Leo announces, as Connor slows the van to a stop. Jesus Christ, would you look at that, exclaims Connor, as he tilts his head upwards. What, what is it? asks Eddie, a little jarred by the suspense. Just look, says Leo. Eddie stands awkwardly with the back of his neck pressing against the cold steel of the van's roof. Ah, here, he huffs as he boots open the van doors and steps down onto the street for a better view. He witnesses something neither he nor any of the other lads had seen before. A terror block of flats stacked on top of each other, over and over, reaching as far as you can crane your neck back. Red brick and red brick with lines of white balconies running upward and around to define each floor. Connor and Leo step out of the van. Fuck me, sure that would give you a hernia, says Connor as he too cranes his head upwards. Come on lads, Sid is expecting us, says Leo. All three make their way into the building. They are greeted by an out of order sign taped to the elevator doors. Looks like the stairs, says Leo. Jesus, says Eddie, as Connor rolls his eyes. Sometime later, the door of the 11th floor creeps open and the three lads, jaded, tromp their way in. The sound from their footsteps bounces off and around the concrete hall that leads to number 88, Sid's flat. As Leo is about to rap on the door, he notices it slightly ajar and pushes it open, entering with Connor and Eddie in tow. Up a dimly lit corridor, he can hear talking. It's Sid. It's a tough game, I should know. I worked at it for years, and I never knew where I was at. As they enter the living room, Sid is sitting in an armchair with his back to them, talking to a body wrapped up in blankets, lying on the sofa. Sid turns his head to the lads. Hey, there you are now. How's she cutting, boys? Asks Sid gleefully as he stands to greet them. All right, Sid, says Leo. How's it going? Asks Eddie. This is our pal Connor, says Leo as he gestures to him. Sid leans in to shake Connor's hand. How are you, Connor? Nice to meet you. How are you? Says Connor. Did the package arrive? Asks Eddie. Sure did, says Sid, as he looks to the body covered in blankets on the couch. Not much of a talker. Mind he only got in late last night. The figure lying on the sofa draws down the blankets to reveal his face. It's Sean. Hello, he says sheepishly as he sits himself up and rubs his eyes. This is Kate's brother, Sean, says Eddie. Are you the one knocked tug on his arse? Asks Sid. Sure is, says Eddie. He's on the lamb, see? He says in the voice of Edward G. Robinson as he leans over and tussles Sean's hair. Cup of tea? Asks Sid. Sure, says Leo. Thanks, that would be great, says Connor, as Sid walks into the corner of the room designated as the kitchen. The next morning, Leo goes on reconnaissance to the gallery while the rest of the troop head down to the market to pick up some supplies for the heist. Leo makes his way past Shepherd's Bush Green and enters the tube station. As he takes the steps down into its belly, he notices a kind of stale old newspaper smell. As he nears the ticket booth, he rustles in his pocket for change and passes it to the ticket man who sits sleepily while resting his head on his hand propped up by his elbow on the counter. As Leo passes through the clicking turnstile, it reminds him of entering Richmond Park to see the Super Saints on a Saturday morning. He makes his way down a long staircase until he reaches the station platform. Somehow the trackside air seems to taste a little of copper. He looks around at the tiled art ceiling and blackened pipes that disappear off into the dark somewhere. This is a new experience for him, but he tries to pass himself off as an ordinary everyday commuter. He paces a little, all casual like, but he can't but help be excited as he hears the train come rumbling into the station. He attempts to keep his cool as the train begins barreling in. 
A vortex of dry wind swirls into the station just ahead of it and waltzes with some discarded papers as it announces the train's arrival. Caught up in the carnival of senses and before he notices it, he puts his hand out like you might to hail a cab or a bus. As soon as he realises his gaff, he sees the quizzical look on the driver's face as the train draws closer, screeches and slows to a stop. Leo puts his hand in his pocket and the doors slide open. He steps into a car, all casual-like. He eyes the map which is fixed to the inside of the carriage, but not too obviously, until he sees his destination. He seats himself and looks straight ahead as the train quickly picks up pace and enters the tunnel. He watches the tunnel lights flicker as the train races past him. It reminds him of the old movie projector they use in the local bingo hall when they're putting on a film for the neighbourhood children. He imagines he is watching an old film reel and the dancing shadows are the cast with the click-clack-clacking of the rails as the soundtrack. The movement and the swaying of the cars become soothing as it finds its rhythm. After seven or so stops, the track noise becomes more pronounced with its rhythm rattled from bossa nova to freeform jazz. The train screeches like Coltrane later in his career as it shimmies into Tottenham Court Road station and grinds to a stop. As he steps off, the doors slide to a close behind him with a shunt. The travelling show is off to its next destination. Leo surfaces onto street level and makes his way south down Charing Cross Road. He delights in the colourful shop fronts and exotic bustle. As he crosses Shaftesbury Avenue, the architecture of the surrounding buildings reminds him of home, as Dublin too has its fair share of Grand Georgian buildings. As the gallery comes into view, he is taken aback as he realises what was once a whim, a spark of possibility, is now a plan and a happening. He walks up the steps and enters. If being completely honest, he is a little in awe of the building, and the interior too does not disappoint. He quickly centres himself to concentrate on the task at hand, observe everything and locate the most direct route to the paintings. Thankfully a layout of the gallery hangs just inside the entrance. As he looks it over he notices a reception desk of sorts to the side where a security guard is berating a younger colleague. I've told you before you can't let people touch the paintings. The younger guard rolls his eyes. She never asked she just did. Leo spies his prize. Room 17, first floor. Artists. He walks up the staircase at a steady pace and arrives at the first floor in room 23. He takes a right turn, passes through room 22. He takes room 18 on the left and then onto room 17. The artist is there on the right, just as the map showed. As he crosses the threshold into the room, he feels the hairs on the back of his neck stand on end. He's excited, but also in awe as he comes face to face with the paintings. He does not merely observe them, he consumes them. He looks at the ridges of paint left by each brushstroke like a fine comb through sand. The mixing of colours that seem to dance. The shading that transform colours into expression and person. Leo collects himself and notes the section of the room that holds each of the four paintings. He sidesteps to each one as he memorises their placement. Peas on a plate, the nag, the lads, the gaff. He then smiles to himself and makes his way back downstairs and out of the gallery, at a leisurely pace so as not to draw attention. It's late evening as all the lads leave Sid's, as he's promised them a night on the town. They step off the bus at Oxford Circus and make their way south through Soho. It's much the same area that Leo had walked earlier in the day, but the bustle of the business day has been replaced by the bright lights, chatter of party goers and opening and closing of taxi cab doors. 
They walk taking in the sights and sounds, passing small groups of people going to and fro, with the occasional group of young ladies receiving a how-he-is-girls from Connor. As they turn onto Wardour Street, Sid makes his way to the front of the group and turns to face them and stops, corralling them into a huddle of sorts. This is it, boys, let me present. The Flamingo, he announces as he spins on his heel with his left arm aloft to show the way. What, a shoe shop? asks Eddie as he looks at a store with Regent Shoes on the large sign above it. Sid rolls his eyes. No, in the middle. Sure enough, what seems at first like an entrance to the shoe store is actually a door with a much smaller sign above it which reads Flamingo, Jazz, with a painted on arrow pointing downward. Fair enough, says Leo. Come on, beckons Sid as he leads the way. As they approach the club they can hear music, a kind of shuffling rhythm they're not familiar with. Just inside the doorway stands a large stony-faced black man. Sid stops the lads huddled behind him following his lead. Look at this big black bollocks, says Sid, gesturing to the bouncer while smiling to the lads. They are startled. They don't know whether to leave, apologise on Sid's behalf or get ready for a fight. Then the bouncer looks down at Sid and just stares for a moment. The lads look at each other, on edge, but curious. It's you, you picnic Irish boo-boo, says the bouncer as he stares down at Sid and Sid up at him. They both break into laughs as the rest of the lads let out audible sighs of relief. This is Terence, says Sid. These are my friends over from Ireland. How's it going, says Connor. How are you, says Leo, as Eddie nods a relieved smile. Welcome to the Flamingo, says Terence. You boys have a good night, he grins, as Sid tells him he'll talk to him later about that other thing, and they make their way downstairs. As they near the base of the stairs, there is a physical rhythm, a beat you can almost reach out and touch. It's a musical form like no other they've ever heard. The snare drum shuffles under the chop of a guitar chord, placed after each one, but before the two. The bass guitar teases a melody, while the trumpet meanders in a kind of cheerful melancholy, if there can be such a thing. It draws them into the club. Bleeding deadly music, Sid. What is it? asks Connor. Sid beams. This, my friend, is Ska. The lads make their way over to an empty table and crowd in. While the music is loud, they can still manage to talk and be heard. This is a great spot, lads, Beam Sid, like he is the proprietor and host. We get all sorts here, rock stars, pimps, browsers, and even some lowlife elements from the Houses of Parliament. Really, rock stars? Like you? asks Connor, all excited. Georgie Fame and even the occasional Beatle. Jesus says Connor in awe as he looks around to see if he recognises anyone. Eddie nudges him and gestures to a short man with a mop-top haircut standing up from a nearby table. Look, small McCartney, he quips. The club is pretty full with some clientele coming and going, leaving in a fight only to come back down the stairs fast friends. The lads get settled in and enjoy the scene. Connor goes for a wander to see what he can see. Sid heads over to talk to a man leaning against the far wall. While the rest of the lads discuss the heist, the surroundings, and have a few beers. After a time, Connor returns to the table, all of a giggle. What's up with you? inquires Leo. Connor struggles to respond between chuckles. I got talking to this bird and she put a few drops of something called Elstie into me mouth. He giggles some more and then fixates on the stage lights. Leo shrugs and continues to chat to Eddie and Sean. Eventually the ska band leave the stage to rapturous applause and cheers and are eventually replaced by what looks like a jazz quartet. It's difficult to explain, but when you see a jazz musician, you can somehow tell. 
sometimes by their dress, sometimes by their demeanour, but you can generally tell. After some brief chat and a positioning of instruments, they kick off frenzied and tight. The man on the upright bass raises his hands up and down the neck with his fingers rapidly tiptoeing along the fingerboard in methodical urgency. The drummer slaps the snare and kicks in with perfectly ill-timed stomps. The trumpet player is everywhere, above and below, only pausing so the piano player's fingers can run in hurried melody along the keys. Then the trumpet returns to sound a harping sustained call. These are shy, announces Connor as he stands up still half laughing, much to the embarrassment of the lads as some of the other patrons look on. Connor spies the short beetle look-alike from before. Here, Small, sing us a ballad, he bellows as he doubles up laughing at himself. Small McCartney is not pleased. 